Sunday Paone and bless Father's Day to all the fathers. Today's gospel we read about the healing, the healing of a paralyzed man. And this was done through, of course, ingenuity and the love and care of his friends. And I guess it demonstrates a few things. God, for the sake and because of the faith of others, will bless us. But another thing that's rather important that kind of is indicative of our Lord Jesus Christ's mission, the Lord did not see them and chastise them. He didn't see them destroying the roof and bringing the guy in and saying, you're disturbing my teaching or, you know, get out of here, that's weird. Are you coming in through the roof? There's others that need to come. But rather, he has compassion upon them, and he came to heal this person on the bed. And why is that? And what does that indicate? It demonstrates the mission of our Lord Jesus Christ. What do we mean? So just step back for a moment. There's some that will criticize Christianity. Some will say that your God is very distant that God kind of set a clock, he wound it up, and he left it, and he's watching from afar, and then one day he's going to come, and he's going to judge what happened. And they'll say, what a cruel religion you have. Your God makes all these rules, and then he lets you go, doesn't, can't enjoy anything, and then in the end, he's going to come and judge you. That's not fair. But that's not accurate. Because we see in today's gospel... The love of the Father demonstrated through the Son that his purpose was to heal mankind. We know that's true, right? The whole point of the incarnation and the whole point of his life on earth and the death upon the cross and the resurrection and the ascension and even the sending of the Holy Spirit, all this was done primarily for salvation because we fell, because we were sick, because we weren't well, because God loves us so much that he sends his only son. So there is an occasion, it's presented to us from John 14. There's an occasion where the Lord is speaking about the mansions. And um, at one point, Philip questions the Lord. You know, Lord, it is sufficient if you were to show us the Father. And the Lord responds, Philip, are you serious? Haven't you been around me for so long? If you've been around me this long, then you should know the Father. The Father is known through his Son. That isn't just true for our Lord Jesus Christ regarding God the Father. It is also true regarding all of us and our fathers. And perhaps there's some, maybe we haven't met this person's father but we know so much about them, or we're so curious because of the child. Even St. Cyril of Jerusalem says, you can know who a person's father is by their actions. By their actions, you know, are they a son of God? Or are they a son of the devil? 
And it's very interesting that our Lord Jesus Christ came as a model and came as an image. But throughout Scripture, we have been given images of what it means to be a father, what it means to be a man. And we can contemplate on a few of those today and maybe go into a couple from the tradition and history of the church. But the first man and the first father that we are presented with is Adam. And Adam had a very important role in leadership. He was given dominion over the earth, and he was told to be fruitful and to multiply. He was called to reign, name the animals, and take care of the vegetation, to offer those things to God, to receive blessing, to give to the rest of the creation. That is the first image of the priesthood of mankind but then also called to love his wife. And what's rather sad with Adam, what we see is a subversion of the role of the man in his family. When Eve was tempted by the serpent and saw the fruit, that it was good to the eyes and pleasing, and was deceived, Adam did not step up in his role to tell her, Eve, come on. You know what God told us? You know if we eat this fruit, we're going to die. You really shouldn't do this thing. Why didn't Adam have the courage to stand up to his... Was he more afraid of his wife than he was of God? Maybe it was. But we see in Adam not only a failure in his position as a father, but we also see a father who is in need of redemption. And just because I am a father in my own house, and I have a child, a daughter who will need to grow, who will need to learn the rites of the church, who will need to read her scripture, to meet a priest, to confess all these different aspects of the faith, we bring our children to the church to watch them grow. But Adam himself was in need of salvation. Just because we are fathers doesn't mean we don't need salvation. Just because I'm a father doesn't mean I don't dress anymore, I don't confess anymore, I don't partake of the Eucharist anymore. It's not the mother's job to bring the child to church. It's our role to bring our family together and keep this liturgical practice within the home, whether that's reading Igbeya together, reading the Bible together, establishing this spiritual life in the home, just as we have an altar here in the church, we have the altar of the home. So that is Adam. Another father that we find in the Holy Scripture is Noah. By Noah's righteousness, his family was saved. A man and a father is called to be righteous. And like what we saw in today's gospel, because of the faith and the earnestness of these friends, their friend was saved. And we see that an earnest and a pure father who is righteous will have righteous children also. And perhaps the children fall. Perhaps the children stray. But what is important is we gave them 
a foundation. Yeah, sure, some of Noah's sons, after the flood, they did bad things. They strayed, sure. They fell. And perhaps also they repented. And they learned. Their father saved them to give them an opportunity to grow, to know God. And although at least one of them had strayed, they had grown in their relationship with him. Now, a very enigmatic father, a very incredible father that we find in Scripture, one who tried very hard to be a father, and his fatherhood was given to him by promise, was Abraham. And Abraham had a son of promise, Isaac. And could you believe it, that God told Abraham to slaughter his son Isaac? Imagine the different feelings, the contradictions going in Abraham's mind and his heart. He loves his son so much. He's really happy to receive his son from the Lord. And he knew it came from the Lord, because he couldn't have a child otherwise with his wife Sarah, barren. And yet at the same time, he's torn because of his love for God. What, what's going on in his head? And I guess our Lord Jesus Christ kind of gave a little bit of insight to this when he said, Abraham saw me in my day and he rejoiced. What does that mean that Abraham saw the Lord? Abraham was a man of great faith and a man of great patience. And he knew the same God that would give him life, but would he take it away? God who is so incredible. What plan does he have? God does not intend evil for us, but good. What could God have in mind? And there was shadow and there was doubt. But despite shadow and doubt, there was faith. And I guess because of all the shadows and the doubts, the faith was ever more brilliant. Because then, because of his faith, Abraham was blessed. Isaac was spared. And it all was very clear to him. Isaac was a symbol and a type of the resurrection. And Abraham rejoiced because not only would his son be saved, but all of humanity would be saved. And as fathers, we are called to have a strong and steadfast faith. Our family might be distressed, we might be in despair, our children might be afraid and confused, but as fathers, as men, we are always called to have a straightforward faith. And just like Abraham, we could have our own internal struggle, and I guess that's a part of being human, and that's a part of what made Abraham strong. But to have that faith and to lead the family is our responsibility as men and as fathers. Now, another very incredible father is Job. And I know when we study and we read Job, one of the, in the poetry books, the wisdom books of the scripture, we often focus on the suffering, the fact that everything was taken away from him and that he had the dialogue with his, with his friends and finally at the end he was redeemed and made an offering for the sake of his friends. But do we remember what Job's life was like before all this happened? That Job would anoint his family, that he would feast with them, pray with them, we see Job in struggle, and we see Job in difficulty, and his patience, and his strength. But it wasn't just in the hardships, but it was in the everyday family life 
that he always brought his children close to God. And even afterwards, when Job was redeemed and he received many children, we could see the bounty and the plentitude of fatherhood, that by his righteousness, by his suffering, by his endeavoring to have hope and patience and faith in God, his family grew. That's what we as men are called to do. We're not called to break down and to fall in our suffering. Even Job's wife, though of everything that was destroyed, Job's wife remained and she chastised Job and made his life much more difficult. But despite that, Job persevered. And although there may, they, there may be difficulty in our own household, and there may be strife, and as the Lord said, a house divided against itself cannot stand, we as husbands are not called to wage war against our wives, but rather, as St. Peter said, we are to deal with them with patience as the weaker vessel, not because the wife is lesser, but because the more expensive item is the more, the more, the more expensive thing is the more fragile and delicate. Something that's cheap, I can be abrasive with, but something that's very valuable and very important and I cherish, I'm going to preserve that thing, such as the weaker vessel. Then we also find ones like Moses, who Moses, we see the transformation of a father. Moses, when he was, when he, when he went and he sees the burning bush, and he removes his shoes, and he speaks with God, and God says, you need to go and get my people. God as a father is concerned because his children are, are in Egypt, and they're suffering, and their cries have gone out to him. And as a father, he's appealing to Moses, go out. Moses says, no, I can't do it. My tongue is very slow. I don't speak really well. Can you send Aaron instead? I don't want to go. And God becomes really upset with Moses. God becomes really upset. God even shows him a sign to hand becomes leprous and then he heals the hand. But then we see an evolution, a transformation, a sanctification of Moses that he goes from a very timid, very weak, very passive to suddenly one who is very strong. Someone who is leading his people, standing before Pharaoh and the wise men of Egypt and all these powers, suddenly going before the Red Sea. And Moses becomes one who is very strong. And at times even harsh with the people, like when he saw them worshiping the golden calf and how many were slaughtered and they ground the calf of gold into the water and made them drink. Why are you so harsh, Moses? Because Moses had seen God, or at least was in God's presence, and his face radiated. Moses received the law and knew the judgment of God. Moses is an example of a father who grew, a father who felt ill-equipped, but then a father that knew God and knew because of that glory, I need to prepare these people to be in his presence, and they need to be worthy. He is a father of preparation who was prepared and continued to prepare. Did Moses struggle with anger? Did he struggle with violence? Did he struggle with many different things? Perhaps. He is flawed like any of us. 
And men, fathers, we are flawed. But nevertheless, what he called the people towards was the perfection of God. And although there was no salvation through the law of Moses, at least it could demonstrate that there is a need for salvation. And even on earth, our Lord Jesus Christ had a father, Joseph the carpenter, who to us fathers is an image of caretaking, an image of one who is called to serve. That's interesting because, yes, it says in Ephesians during our wedding that we serve one another, men love your wives, and women submit to your husbands. But Joseph is one who is a caretaker and one who is constantly serving his family. So Virgin Mary, according to the tradition, and I believe this is Proto-Evangelium of James, Mary eventually, having lived in the temple her whole life, reached an age where she needed to leave the temple. They didn't just want to send a young girl out. She needed to be taken care of. So they called one elder out of each tribe of Israel, so that's 12 tribes of Jacob, and they gathered, and each has their staff, and they prayed that God would reveal to them who, who will take care of this virgin. And a dove came, and it flew, and it landed upon the rod of Joseph. And by that sign, they knew this is the person that God wants to take care of this virgin. Joseph is a father of deep thoughts, contemplation, discretion, and patience, because when he learns that his wife is pregnant, doesn't immediately expose her before all the people, but he thinks quietly and soberly, how can, I, how can I pretty much let this be solved in a quiet way where she doesn't need to get in trouble and we don't need more attention than we ought? Very thoughtful, didn't jump to conclusions, didn't yell at her, didn't fight with her, didn't cause a scene, didn't expose her, because she could have been killed. But he was one who cared more about her than anything she could do to him. But then it was revealed, no, 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 she is giving birth to God. And Joseph is one who goes and takes his wife to Bethlehem. And eventually, when Herod is trying to kill all the young babies, he goes and he takes her to Egypt. And when Lauren and I went to Egypt, and I think you guys probably have seen it too, there are many churches where the Holy Family stayed. From place to place, he would take them. Place to place, he was vigilant and caring and loving. What an excellent model of fatherhood Joseph was. And although we don't see him in the remainder of Scripture, remember, he was about 90 when he married uh, when, when, he, uh, when he was betrothed to uh, Virgin Mary. Although he is only there for a short time, he is an example of a very silent, caring, and contemplative father. So we won't go further today into the tradition, but as we see from what we discussed by looking at Abraham, I said by Adam, Noah, Abraham, Job, and Moses, and Joseph the carpenter, we have been given many examples for fatherhood and for manhood in general. And I guess the most important thing that we're going to see today 
to bring our family to come together to church to partake of the mysteries. To our Lord Jesus Christ belongs all glory and honor with his good Father and the Holy Spirit, and glory be to God forever. Amen.